Hello and bienvenue listeners. Welcome to Shine in Provence. I'm your host, Crudy, and you have arrived at the place where you get to hear me speak with those who have taken the leap to move to the south of France, whether for work, love, school, retirement, or sheer madness. I ask them frankly how they not only survive, but shine here in Provence. And guess what? It's all in English. Ne quittez pas. I am a huge fan of Marie Forleo. For this episode, I could hear her voice singing in my ear. Create a business and a life you love because the world needs that special gift that only you have. (laughs) So I started to ponder, how do other people create the life they love? And how is it different to mine here in Provence? The answer, same, same, but different. There are always some things that we are looking for that are the same. With the start of yet another new year in 2023, I thought it would be the perfect time to answer the question with two American women in Provence who have managed to do just that. Julie Mottner has created her business and juggles life between America and Provence through writing and tour guides. Next, Liz Le Marchand came in on a gap year as an English teacher and finally never left, having found her freedom and love for Marseille now as a marketing consultant in the city. Listen to their journeys, challenges and tips on how to build a life on their terms in France. Up first, I speak with the experienced Julie Motner, the business owner and travel planner for Provence Post Travels. I live in San Remi de Provence. I've been there most of the year for about 22 years. I'm American, originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I found my way to the south of France after five years working in Chicago and 10 years working in New York as a magazine editor specializing in food and travel. I went on a vacation to take a photography workshop and had one of those epiphanies where I just had a fantastic time in Provence and went back to New York and said to myself, why do I live here? And one thing after another, and I was able to go for an extended period and then stay. Wow. I know, funny. (laughs) It was an escapade and it became real life. And I've been very lucky. Yeah, I think that's like everyone's dream to, you know, stay in their dream. (laughs) Vacation mode, permanent vacation mode, right? And so how did you turn that vacation into life? I was, let's see, I had been a magazine editor. My first 10 years in Provence, I was working as a freelance writer for that magazine and others, working for food and travel magazines, primarily in the U.S. and the U.K., So after about 10 years as a freelance writing, I decided to make the switch and do travel planning in Provence full time. And it came about because, probably because of my blog, ProvencePost.com, which I started in 2008, I was getting a lot of requests from people for advice and information on Provence as in where should we stay, where should we eat, what villages should we visit, etc. So I decided to see if I could turn that into a business, 
what I had been doing to be helpful for many years to people. And I've kept my blog up while I'm doing full-time travel planning, but I've stopped doing freelance magazine writing. Can't do it all. Of course not. It's never, <laughs> never possible. But I mean, that's um, in a way that's really cool because I guess you had your kind of shift between like writing and then travel planning. And during the shift, were you able to basically work from home? In France, I've only worked from home. Um, Always before it was a trend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a trendsetter. I rented, I rented <laughs> a house in San Remy and ended up buying it. So I've only had one house the whole time I've been in France. And the transition from travel journalist or food writer, we'll call it, to travel planner was not easy, but it makes sense. I already had a lot of contacts in hospitality and food and travel in Provence. So it made sense. So if I can ask you, what were your initial challenges then when you first moved to France? Because already I know 10 years ago, I'm sure the challenges were also different to today. So if you could briefly tell us the challenges that perhaps people could also relate to today that you faced back then in moving to Provence? Sure. Well, I think it may have been easier for me because I hadn't set out to move to France, meaning I didn't look to become a citizen. I didn't ship furniture. It was really meant to be a leave of absence from my job for a couple months to have fun and regroup. And one thing led to another. So I think in many ways that made it easier. I sort of did things in reverse, meaning I went for three months and then I got a one-year visa and then I got a long-stay visa, etc. The challenges, from what I can tell, are still very much the same for people who would be making the move now. Finding a place to live. Um, realizing that when you rent a house, there's no kitchen appliances. That one sort of <laughs> caught me off guard. Where's my fridge? Where's my stove? Where's my oven and microwave? Yeah. Um, making friends, I would guess, is a lot easier now because of the internet and Facebook and groups that we all belong to online. None of that existed when I came. Um, getting a mortgage is harder now, at least for Americans, or so I'm told. Um, buying a car is a little tricky when you don't speak the language. And of course, the language is the biggest obstacle. So if I had one bit of advice, it would be learn a little bit of French before you pursue the move. And also just plan, you know, plan, do your planning, do your research, come in winter. Everything looks super charming in summer and you, find, you might find you don't love it as much in winter. What challenges then do you think you have really overcome that has helped you with the life that you've created in Provence? Oh, life is a continuous challenge. You know that, Crudy. I've overcome all of those challenges. I have a great group of friends, um, a car, a home, a career I love. The usual challenges, language, cultural differences, I feel like those problems got worked out years ago for me, thankfully. 
And then have you ever thought about moving back or did you just decide that, you know what, this is home for me. This is where I've created my life. And perhaps it was different for you 10 years ago. Do you feel the same way today? Well, I kept my apartment in New York for a long time and eventually let it go when it was obvious that Provence was going to be my home. My family is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I've been going back and forth depending on what's going on with my family and weddings and everybody's health. So I would like to continue to have a life in two countries for as long as possible. How do you make that possible? Because there are quite a few people perhaps who would like to do something similar to have a foot in Provence and their other one in their whichever countries that they choose, whether it's their home country or not. Um, in terms of being, I guess, sustainable by themselves, like independent, really, especially in France, how could you financially make that happen so that you can balance the two worlds? Well, I understand the question and can only speak to my own experience. I run my own business and I have permission to do that from France. I'm not going for auto entrepreneur and I'm not going for citizenship at this time. So when you run your own business, you can pretty much do what you need to do. My business is based in the U.S. and that's probably a big factor. So the only restrictions that pertain to me are the length of my visa, okay? Um, and I pay taxes in France, and as I said, I have a home in France. I'm a full-time travel planner, therefore I have to spend a lot of time in France because I need to know the best restaurants, the best new hotels. I need to continually be meeting tour guides and artists and photographers and farmers and people who who are willing to host and provide great experiences for my clients. I'm touring villas constantly because I rent a lot of villas for my clients. So I have to spend a good part of every year in Provence. And luckily, that's easy and that's a fantastic place to be. Up next, I speak with the resourceful Liz, currently working at a marketing firm in Marseille called Media Dev. So my name is Liz. I'm American, originally from New York. I've been living in Marseille now for the better part of 23 years. I work in marketing. I work from home. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here today. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes. And so when did you first move here, actually, to Marseille? Well, I left, I left the States in 1999. I had kind of had a midlife crisis when I was 24. And I had been working in corporate America, just got really kind of tired of the lifestyle, decided that I wanted to travel, move abroad, learn a language. I just felt too young for the lifestyle that I was living at the time. So I thought I would take a year abroad, and actually, I just never went back. I, I did a lot of traveling, and I kind of ended up in Marseille. It was kind of a roundabout way of getting here, and then I just never left. Actually, when I think about that, that's pretty young to 
I actually already figured that out because I think some of us don't figure that out until we are well into our 30s or 40s. Sure. Well, I had read a really great book called The Grown-Up's Guide to Running Away from Home. And when I really started reading like all of the advice that was in this book, I realized like, hey, actually, I have no mortgage. I have no kids. I have nothing really that's tying me down. Like it would be so much easier for me to leave now at 24 than it would be for me to leave at 44. <laughs> so I think that's also what helped me take a leap, a leap of faith and just do it. Um, so then at 24 years old, you end up moving basically to France without having thought that through. What were your initial challenges? Well, obviously the language was an initial challenge. I had taken French classes in high school, but I never really spoke French. So it was really learning French through total immersion. And of course that took some time to get used to. Finding a job also in the beginning was not super, super easy. So that was something that I had to navigate and, and deal with. And You know, I did end up going back to school and getting my master's degree, and that exponentially helped me then afterwards to get sponsored by a company. You know, I had started off teaching English as a second language, which is a really great way just to be sure that you have work, but it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing permanently. And so going back and getting my master's degree in business in France is what really helped me then afterwards to kind of put myself on the career path that I wanted. And this episode is really about figuring out how to build a life that we love, um, that we can live uh, happily in France. So for you, how you mentioned um, doing your master's is what really helped kind of boost um, your career and, and helped you stay here. But what about afterwards? How... How did you manage to, I guess, also keep that job, especially as an American in France, um, even though maybe you speak the language better? It's, I, I don't know if, it, if you were already fluent by then or not. Um, and what other factors really helped you kind of cement uh, a good life that you would have envisioned for yourself here? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of pieces wrapped up in your question, but uh, you know, for sure, I definitely was already pretty fluent by the time I get my, got my master's degree, you know, it was a master's program in French. So you really did have to prove that you were able to follow the classes in French. Um. But, you know, I do think, too, like my initial step after I got my, my degree was to do an internship and really prove my value, my worth to the company. They sponsored me for a work permit. And then from there, once you have the work permit, you know, more doors will open for you. It's harder to get that first initial sponsor for the work permit. And that's really about showing your unique brilliance. Um, showing the company your value that's different from everybody else. And it can't just be because you speak English. It has to be something else. And for me, it was really because I had experience working and lobbying. Um, you know, the work that I had done in Washington, D.C. before I moved 
was what gave me the niche, that edge that I needed for the company to say, okay, we really need this and we're not going to find this in anybody else here. So that's, uh, that's really what enabled me then to be able to get, you know, the backing of the company to be able to, to keep the job. Yeah. And then, you know, from, from that first initial job that I had, I did um, decide later, you know, after some years of service to apply to another company. And that's now the company I work for. I've worked for MediaDev now, which is a marketing company for the past 16 years. And uh, I've been able, you know, to grow my career within this company. So why are you happy to be here apart from work as well? Yeah, for me, it's really about the lifestyle. I mean, of course, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, getting a job here, they're going to be paid the same as they would elsewhere. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that salaries are lower in France. And that's just, you know, something you have to accept as part of the package. You know, yes, I could be making more money working in the States, but I wouldn't have the work-life balance that I have. I wouldn't have all of the advantages that I have here in terms of a pension and healthcare and education for my children. I mean, I really, there was a point where I I was considering like, okay, do I stay here? Do I go back to the States? And I did decide to stay because I feel like work in the States is very much a hierarchy. It's a ladder and you have to climb your way up. Work is at the top rung. You know, family comes next, your friends come next, hobbies, all that kind of stuff. It's very hierarchical. Whereas in France, it's more of a circle. And work is important, but friends are important. Your health and well-being is important. Your hobbies are important. You know, having time to be able to do those things is important. And I feel like there's more of a balance. Um, and I just have more joy because of that. You know, I really do have time for me to be able to spend with my kids. And, and I can do the things that I enjoy doing on the weekend. And I don't have to be tied to my phone checking all the time if my boss has sent me an email. So <laughs> I guess that's uh, a big part of it, you know, and, and what, what keeps me here. Wow, that's wonderful to hear. Um, and finally, what advice would you give perhaps to other people, whether they come in, as you said, or as you did, as, you know, English teachers kind of entering France and then looking for other options or just right away they want to live here because of the lifestyle, the circular lifestyle, so to say, um, that you spoke about? What advice would you give? Yeah, well, I could give a lot of advice, but I think the main pieces of advice are not to let other people or your self-doubt convince you not to do it. I mean, there are always going to be people that say, oh, that's so difficult, or, you know, why are you going to do that? Or, you know, that's so hard. Um, but if you just turn the I can't into a how can I, and you'll figure out the way. You know, I think if you get resourceful, you know, it, it it's really something that comes from your why. You know, if you really want it, you can do it. And it's just about finding the way afterwards to make it happen. 
you know, even I, I consider like language learning, you know, in the beginning, it was really difficult to communicate with people. And when you just embrace your vulner vulnerability and you put yourself out there, you know, you're able to find a way, you know, I think of an instance where, you know, I went into a restaurant and I didn't know the word for coat check. And I just used the words I knew to be able to explain what I wanted. And so I said, you know, do you have a place where I can give you my coat? You know, and that's how you learn because then they tell you what the word is and you integrate it into your vocabulary. I think the whole thing is about getting comfortable with the discomfort. And so what's the word for coat check? Uh, oh, a vestiaire. <laughs> I remember that right away when she said it. I was like, oh, I'm never going to forget that word. As you've heard, Provence is more than just a place for wine and dine. But hold up, it's still got all that and more. It's time for... What's happening, Provence? Find out what events are happening in and around your region. Starting with Avignon, the 2023 season of the Opera Grand Avignon runs from the months of January to June 2023. The program includes opera and operettes, lyric concerts, dance, musical theater, symphony, and all that jazz. You can check out more on operagrandavignon.fr. Next, we head on to Marseille, where there's the International Biennial Circus and Street Arts Festival from the 12th of January to the 12th of February, offering great fun for children, families, and people from all backgrounds to explore entertaining performance arts. Crossing over to Côte d'Azur, the Nice Carnival is one of the biggest carnivals in the world. Every year, thousands of visitors come to take part. The top two events to check out the flower battles and the carnival parade taking place next month from February 10th to the 26th all around the city. For more, you can also check out one of our interviewees blogs called Provence Post, where Julie updates events in Provence all year round. And with that, thank you for listening with me. If you missed some parts of this episode and would like to hear it again, you can find this show and more interviews on the radio's website, as well as your favorite podcast channels, YouTube, and www.shineandprovence.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Catch me again same time next month. A bientôt!